0: On this episode of Two Cents Worth, I uh, switched it up a little bit, took some fan questions um, of all topics, so that's what we're going to discuss today. Everything from Major League Baseball contracts, Antonio Brown, cocktails, funny questions from some of you, uh, A-Rod and J-Lo, Duke Carolina, my wife, all these things. Were uh, asked about, so I'm going to answer them in today's episode. So stay tuned. Welcome to Two Cents Worth. I'm Ryan David, your host. This is episode 29. And uh, as you heard in the intro, we're going to go over some questions that were brought up to me, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on them or uh, perspective on them. So the first one was uh, a question around my wife. So my wife, and if you've listened to the podcast, she's on in one of the earlier episodes. My wife is Lindsay. We met at Wingate University. Where she ran cross country, I played baseball, and we were both sport management majors. She is from Spring Hill, Florida, and uh, at the time, at the time, well, I I had lived in Charlotte for what year did I go there? Three years at that point in time when we went to college. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island. I moved down here when I was 15. So I've lived here since '99 in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Wingate is about an hour southeast of Charlotte. So a small university, Division two school for sports and athletics. Um, and so we met there through mutual friends and started dating our junior year. And uh, two, year, two months, two months, two weeks after graduating, I proposed to her and we got married a year and a half later in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, which is a suburb of Charleston um, in which we go and frequent quite often. It's a great city. If you've never been to Charleston, you live in the United States, I highly suggest you go. It's a great time, a lot of history, a lot of stuff to do. Really cool. I suggest staying in downtown. Um, a lot of stuff to to do and everything is in without walking distance <clears throat> when you stay in downtown, which is nice. Um, but uh, Yeah, we've been, this year we'll be married 12 years. We have two boys, uh, a really terrible Jack Russell Terrier dog named Bronx, who's laying next to me sleeping. Um, We both work at the same company, uh, which is interesting at times, and at the same time, not as bad as most people would think of working with your spouse. It's not really that bad. Uh, we, We support different areas of the company, so it's really not that big of a deal. But um, yeah, I don't know really what else to tell you about my wife. I love her. She's very supportive of everything I do, from my job to my um, hobbies, and as a father, and um, what I would what I would want for our children, and she and what she wants for our children, and we kind of sync up on that and make sure that that's you know, the same thing. And, uh, we have very loving and supporting parents and siblings as well. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, at all times, she's the prettiest girl in the room. So that's it. That's my wife, Lindsay. If you run into her, say hello to her. She does, uh, wedding coordination on the side outside of work. So again, we both have our own kind of, uh, side hobbies. Mine is the podcast here and hers is weddings. So, If you want to, uh, if you're getting married in the North Carolina, Charlotte area, um, check her out. Lindsay DeFaber celebrations on uh, Instagram. And then, um, you can get in touch with her then. She has a couple weddings this year coming up that she's, she's doing. Uh, so yeah, that's it. And you've seen pictures of her and stuff like that on my Instagram. If you follow me on there, my Facebook or Twitter, she's on there as well. Um, uh, in the stuff that I post at Two Cents Worth Podcast. So that's it. That's my wife. Uh, we're going to switch gears and we're going to get into, uh, let's see. I'm going to answer, let's let's make this portion the sports portion and then I'll finish with some of the other questions outside of um, actual sports uh, that, that were brought up to me. So uh, this portion of the podcast will be, Is presented to you by Thomas Lee. This is the baseball portion. It is his favorite portion every single week that I present and talk about baseball. It's his favorite sport. He used to work for the Charlotte Knights uh, before he went into the Visitors Bureau and now is relocated to South Dakota to run their um, program out there for Sioux Falls. But, um, big fan of the show and he really always appreciates baseball. So, this portion, Thomas, I, uh, I I dedicate this to you. So I hope you enjoy this this topics of these two topics of conversation. We're first going to go over big major league contracts and my thoughts on those, and then if baseball would ever expand or if teams would ro- relocate, where what cities do you think should they expand or relocate to, and what teams if it's a relocation? Um, so we'll go into big major league contracts and what I did here was I have the largest contracts by position uh, ever um, and my thoughts on them so we will start at catcher Joe Maurer biggest contract he's a catcher was a catcher for the twins 184 million dollars and for a catcher I think that's fair. I think you look at a contract like that, and you you say, okay, the lifespan of a of a major league catcher in today's age before they transition either to DH or first base, or some go into third base, um, one of those corner infield positions or DH, because it's just uh, it's it, it can really break down your body. Quite a bit. It's a long season, 162 games, not including spring training, not including practices and the bullpens and everything else that you're catching uh, on your knees, on your body in general, because you're in a squatting position for hours at a time. Uh, but I think this was fair. I think Joe Mauer is a future Hall of Famer. I don't think I, I I would I would say he is a future Hall of Famer, and I, I think the writers would would say the same thing as they go into into voting um 184 million for a catcher of his uh, ability, I think that was extremely warranted. Now, you'll you'll start to see things climb as you get into other positions. And then the one that really surprised me right now um, is one of the outfield uh, contracts. And it's more so around because of how if you're a baseball fan, you view, or you grew up playing baseball, you view this position. We'll, we'll get to it, but it is an outfield position. DH slash first base, we're going to say DH is JD Martinez, $110 million with the Red Sox. He signed it, um, what was he, a free agent last year? Last year, it's a couple year deal, not that, uh, not these long term deals that were signed uh, this offseason. 10 year for Machado, 13 for Bryce Harper. 110, productive. He's. Um, a World Series champion, again, I'm okay with it. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm, I'm going to go through all these, and I'm going to keep on saying I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't see anything wrong with these major league contracts. I don't see anything wrong with professional sports players getting these massive contracts. Now, I know a lot of people get upset about it, and they go, well, you know, they're playing a game, they're doing this. Listen, if you don't want these people to get paid that amount of money and being entertained by them, then stop watching it because the amount of money that is in professional sports between what the owners make off of ticket sales and concessions and everything else that go along with owning a team, merchandise, all that stuff with what these leagues get from these television deals and these network deals and everything else and the, and the likeness of these players that they promote and put as the face of their, their business. They are there for entertainment. I watch sports constantly. So to me, if, if you have a business that is willing to pay you that much money, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think that is that is great for them that they have the ability to play a sport, a game at the highest level and make some of the sacrifices that they do make because it, it can be very strenuous on if you have a family, just a lifestyle, you know, it's not, it's not like us where we're in jobs and it's like, I'm not going to get called tomorrow by my company and say, Hey, we traded you to the San Francisco office and you got to be there tomorrow. You know, it's not like that. So there, there are stresses, and it, it is for every job, right? There's stresses and reliefs for every, everything that you do. But I think there's a lot more stress on the family when it comes to professional sports and the uncertainty. So if you have the ability to make that much money, and it could be for a year, it could be for five, you could have a long career, you could have a 20-year career, then make it. And I have absolutely no problem with it. Now, all that said, let's get back to position by position. Uh, so again I, I spoke my piece on that I think I think it is fine I have absolutely no problem with it if you do I'm up for the debate but for me if we uh, we as a as a group of people that are sports fans as a nation as a as a basically you know the world watches these guys and girls uh, let them make the money I don't see any problem with it. I don't see any problem with it. We we've made them celebrities, just like we make celebrity celebrities, and they make a bunch of money as well. So let them make their money. No issue on my end. First base, Miguel Cabrera, two hundred forty-eight million. Good for him. Second base, Robinson Cano, two hundred and forty million. Manny Machado, the latest one, the ten-year, three hundred million-dollar deal with the Padres shortstop the biggest shortstop deal is still alex rodriguez's deal at 252 million dollars um and that was when he went to texas not the yankees texas robinson cano's 240 million deal is when he didn't re-sign with the yankees and he went to seattle so keep that in mind as well so again if i look at this there's nine uh, well no there's more than nine there's 11 on here because you have a relief pitcher and a DH. There's 11 people on this list, two of which are Yankees, the rest of them are around the league. So, again, the Yankees, notoriously known to, to sign big, large contracts. The Alex Rodriguez one, very interesting. It was with the Rangers. You go to left field, Giancarlo Stanton, the Yankees, 325 million. Center field. Now, this is the one I was talking about earlier. Where I was very surprised to see, because it is such a position that um, you had people like the the most famous center fielder in my opinion of my age growing up, and uh, and just uh, from a popularity perspective would be Ken Giff- Ken Griffey Jr. and he's not on here for any of these positions, and he's not here for center field, but the center fielder, the the quarterback of the outfield. Uh, a skill position, if you would say, for baseball. Um, you would think that a bigger name player, and this is a decent name player, but not a big, big name player, would hold the largest contract here. Like I said, like a Ken Griffey Jr. No. Matt Kemp, $160 million deal he signed with the Dodgers, which he doesn't play for the Dodgers anymore. Um, he plays for the Reds. He got traded this year. But Matt Kemp right now has the largest Center field contract of all time. And then we go into right field. The second one that happened this offseason, Bryce Harper, 330 million. And then we go into pitching. So the highest is David Price with the Red Sox, $217 million as a starting pitcher. And then the reliever is Araldus Chapman, $86 million as a closer. So there you go. So again, we're going to go through them real quick. I'll just name them catcher, Joe Mauer. D.H., J.D. Martinez. First base, Miguel Cabrera. Second base, Robinson Cano. Third base, Manny Machado. Shortstop, Alex Rodriguez. Left field, Giancarlo Stanton. Center field, Matt Kemp. Right field, Bryce Harper. Starting pitcher, David Price. And relief pitcher, Aroldis Chapman. So there you go. That are Those are the largest contracts by position. And my thoughts on it. Now, let's go into... In which city would you want baseball to expand or a team relocate to? So I'll start with the cities, and then I will talk about a couple teams that I think would potentially have an opportunity to relocate. So I'm going to say that there are, I'll name six cities that I think could have a Major League Baseball team today. And I'll start, I'll start west, and I'll move east. So I think Portland, Oregon, Las Vegas, Nevada, San Antonio, Texas, Nashville, and then they, Charlotte. And this one's going to surprise you, but if you live in North Carolina, you, you will know how much this area has grown. They already do have another professional sports team, but Raleigh, North Carolina, they have... They have the Carolina Hurricanes, the NHL team, the NHL franchise. And that city is continuing to grow and expand, and the population is growing as well, and it's a technology hub. There's banking there as well. It is it, it, it's shocking to, me, to some maybe, but those are the six cities. So, again, Portland, Las Vegas, San Antonio, Nashville, Charlotte, Raleigh. Those would be the six cities, if I was Major League Baseball, those would be the six cities that I would look at to be able to support a team because you have to remember in baseball, you play 162 games. So if you don't make the playoffs, you have to have a fan base that can support 81 home games. That's a lot of home games. So think about that from other professional sports. You have 81 home games for major league baseball for hockey and basketball. They play what? 82 games. So they have to support 41 home games for football 16 regular season games, so 8 home games. 81 for baseball, 8 for football. It's a big difference. It's a lot of games. It's a lot of games. So you have to have cities that have populations large enough that can support and a fan base that's willing to go out and support. and, and, And you'll see in Major League Baseball, if you watch a lot of games, a lot of these summer games uh midday games anything like that midweek games they're not packed out but they they fill it up enough and they sell enough season tickets that they can still make money now if i'm looking at teams that should have the potential to relocate two immediately stand out tampa bay rays they struggle every single year to fill seats they are always usually one of the teams that are on the lower end of um, attendance. They play in a absolutely awful facility. They're being held hostage, in my opinion, by the city of St. Pete. The city of Tampa, they have land that they, they've identified, but yet aren't willing to build a stadium on. They are brought up on a constant basis of a team that should probably relocate. They make the most sense. They would be somebody that I would relocate to a East Coast city. So either Nashville, Charlotte, or Raleigh. Because they play in the AL East, that way you don't have to make any realignment. If you're doing a relocation perspective, you don't have to do any realignment to divisions. You keep them in the AL East, and they're not going to, from an AL perspective... They shouldn't pull fan base, per se if you're a purist of baseball, from your NL driven cities like Washington, DC and Atlanta. They are if you put them in a Nashville, a Charlotte, or a Raleigh City, they they put themselves in a position where there isn't any other American League team. The closest American League team to them would be Baltimore and Cleveland. I believe, because you have the Marlins in Miami, you got the Braves in Atlanta, you got the Nationals in Washington, D.C., you got the Phillies in Philadelphia, you got the Pirates in Pittsburgh. It's a very NL-driven part of the country there, so you don't have to worry about the a- the AL fan base. Now, team out west, and again, it's another team that's struggling with the city, on facilities now i do know that they, i believe they did actually name here the last couple months um of a place that they are going to actually build a stadium and get out of their old stadium but if i was out west it would be the oakland athletics and a, another reason they play in a very very old facility to the coliseum it's not in really good shape you know, the Raiders are moving out of it because of how terrible it is. The The Raiders couldn't get the city to pay for a new stadium, so they're moving to Vegas. And I say they couldn't get the city to pay for a new stadium. I, and I don't want to say couldn't get them to pay because I don't think that the that the team should get their stadiums fully paid for. I think certainly that, um, and that's a topic for a different day, but I, I do think that they're, the team should put money forward to put together a facility especially if they're going to get to use that facility and make money out of that facility but I do believe that there should be some type of payment from the city because of again how we we've made the celebrity a celebrity out of professional sports but Oakland and I would see Oakland going to and it makes a lot of sense you just follow the Raiders Put them, in a, and put them in Las Vegas. The Golden Knights and hockey are doing well two years in. It's working. The NFL is going to probably work there. I think the Vegas not having a team anymore because of sports betting and anything like that, I think that's out the window now. I think you you have to look at it and say, yeah, I, mean, I, I think we're okay now to put professional teams there. Hockey was the first one in line. NFL is going to be following that, and I believe Major League Baseball will follow that. They have a A team there now. Um. So you know, you just upgrade to a pro team, and to me, if if Oakland doesn't make that stadium happen in Oakland, they can't build that stadium. I I would say you move them to Vegas, Portland, or San Antonio because you have one of the largest states with a massive population in Texas, and you only have two major league teams. Yet you have five in California. Oakland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Anaheim, San Diego. And then in Texas, all you have is the Rangers and Houston. The De- Texas Rangers, we play in Dallas, Arlington, and Houston Rangers. Oh, Houston Rangers, Jesus Christ. Houston Astros. Um, so if I'm if I'm looking at that from a Major League Baseball perspective, if they're ever looking to relocate teams, two teams that stick out in my mind are Tampa and Oakland. Um and I would, and I would want them to stay in their region for fan base and for alignment and divisions. Okay, I think that's enough of that. So again, thank you, Thomas Lee, for sponsoring that portion of the podcast. It's always greatly appreciated. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to. We're going to switch gears here. Making sure I'm covering everything, looking at my list here. Uh, uh, The last one for baseball. Thomas, I'm sorry. You're back to sponsoring. A-Rod and J-Lo getting engaged. Now, what I thought was hilarious, because this happened last night. Today is the 10th of March. um, What it happened yesterday was that it was news on the bottom line on ESPN while I was watching... Michigan-Michigan uh, State game after the Duke-Carolina game. I was watching that game, and across the line, it showed that Alex Rodriguez and, and Jennifer Lopez get engaged. I thought it was hilarious for the fact that that was actual news on ESPN of a retired player, guy who doesn't even play anymore, and of an entertainer, singer, getting engaged. Uh, I believe this will be J Lo's fourth or fifth marriage. I I I, I think everyone's kind of lost track at this point. This is A Rod's second marriage. He has two kids with a, his previous uh, wife, his ex wife. Um, wish him the best of luck. I don't I don't know if it'll last. She seems like she is a uh, a person that um, has a little trouble finding love, and and you hope that everyone does find love and can hold on to it. And I wish him the best of luck, but I did think it was quite hilarious that that was on ESPN's bottom line. All right. So again, thank you, Thomas. And I uh, I always make sure I, I talk baseball because he always wants me to, and and it's um my favorite sport, his favorite sport. So, and he's a very he's an avid listener. He's an, he's somebody that when he's listening, he will text me through the whole. Um, the whole podcast when he's listening and letting me know, you know, his thoughts on things and everything. So eventually we're going to get him on. If he ever comes back to Charlotte, we'll get him on. If not, we'll try some Skype or something. We'll have a nice little conversation. Probably strictly baseball-focused. All right. Now into the NFL. The question was raised, is Antonio Brown worth the headache? Uh, Well, breaking news last night or this morning is that Antonio Brown's going to the Raiders. So... Here's two things that I think of is, is Antonio Brown worth the headache? Antonio Brown, when he plays is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Now he is 31 years old. So again, now we're getting into that age frame of how many more years does he have left to be a productive number one receiver in the NFL? Could be three, could be five. You don't know. I mean, it just depends on how well his body holds up. Um, So It will be very interesting to see how the Raiders deal with that. Is he worth the headache? What I'm seeing out of Pittsburgh right now is you have two of your star players, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, not wanting to play for that organization. Now Antonio Brown has come out and basically has said that him and Big Ben don't get along. Big Ben acts like he's an owner and can say whatever he wants. And then in the NFL, if you look at most teams and if you look at how teams – who they build around they build around quarterbacks and if you look at teams and you go top to bottom of every team there's only really a handful or so of really elite quarterbacks and year over year Big Ben has been an elite quarterback since he has come into the league so when you are a league and your main stars I don't want to say stars but more so the faces of your organizations and the face of your business, the NFL, are quarterbacks, Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, the Drew Brees's, those those people, the team is always going to side with the quarterback. You as a receiver or a running back are somebody that can be replaced. Quarterbacks, especially really, really good quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, they don't always they don't come around very often. So when you get one, you keep it and a lot of times, right or wrong, you give them the power that they demand. And if Antonio Brown didn't like how Big Ben treated him or other players, unfortunately, as you saw it now, the Steelers have basically said, I really don't care. You're replaceable. He right now is not. So we're gonna move on without you. So is he worth the headache? Um Look, I'll be honest. I, I'm a Panther fan. I'd love to have a number one receiver like an Antonio Brown. I, I think that that's something we have struggled with in the past of really finding since Steve Smith lost uh, left, and um, it's important, uh, you know, to have somebody reliable other than your tight ends. And so, is he worth the headache? I'm gonna say yes on a short term. You you're gonna get three four years and he might then start becoming vocal again. But look at the look at the NFL and the history of the NFL. I mean, a lot of your great receivers are definitely worth the headache, and teams will always make, take a chance on them because you need that number one receiver. Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, um, are, are two that definitely stand out that teams continue to to, to take. Uh, chances on with them because they are worth it because of the talent that is there. Um uh, Des Bryant same thing, right? You know, the Cowboys were ready to move on from but the Saints then were ready to take him on because to them it's worth it's worth a try and it's worth an investment because of how good they are. Odell Beckham Jr., very outspoken receiver. Giants are going to continue to stick with him and he certainly is worth the headache because it's that talent that's there that again, just like the quarterback, it is hard to find a receiver that that can go above and beyond what a lot of the other receivers in the league can do. And there's only a handful of those guys, and most of them are usually outspoken. Uh, So in my opinion, yes, he is worth the headache, maybe for a short term, but he can give you success in that position. Uh, Now, the second thing is, is he worth the headache? The Raiders certainly think so, and if there's two teams in the NFL that are willing to take on headaches, it is the Oakland Raiders and it is the Dallas Cowboys. Those two teams – are always willing to take on a quote-unquote project or somebody that has been basically cast out by their other organizations, and they welcome them in with open arms and say, hey, we can make it work here. And for Antonio Brown, the unfortunate thing, I think, for him is that he, being traded to the Raiders, is potentially going to waste a a handful of years because they are absolutely garbage. Uh, John Gruden, I think, is a great announcer. I don't Think he's a great coach. Um, I think he's a great analyst. I think he has a good eye of uh, the game, but actually coaching it and to that aspect, I, I don't know. And I don't, I'm, I'm, I think Antonio Brown will disappear out in Oakland and then Vegas for a couple of years. And, um, for him, you know, he'll get his money and, uh, yeah, I think, what is it, $30 million he gets guaranteed? It's a three-year, $54 million contract, $30 million he gets guaranteed. So he's going to make $30 million at least out in Oakland, Vegas, once they move there. And uh, I, I just don't see the Raiders turning it around anytime soon. I think it is a long-term project there, and he's 31 years old, and I don't think he has the longevity to withstand that long-term project. And he'll he'll put up some numbers because that's who – Carr is going to have to throw to because he doesn't really have anybody else to throw to, and um, we'll see. Now, the Raiders did get, I think, a really, really, really—they got a number one receiver, and they didn't give up any of their first-round picks, so I think that is certainly a win for them, and the Steelers got rid of a quote-unquote headache of Antonio Brown. So, those are my thoughts on that situation. I I think uh, he's a number one receiver. Raiders got themselves a really good receiver. Unfortunately, Antonio Brown went to the Raiders, but again— the flip side is, he at least is getting guaranteed thirty million dollars. Is he worth the headache? Absolutely. Number one receivers are always worth the headache, just like quarterbacks in this league. They are, and when they're in their prime, you you deal with the BS that comes along with them. Okay, um, we're going to get into college basketball, and then we're going to get into two off-topic conversation or topic questions. That don't involve sports. That were just funny questions to me. Um, And so I'll give my insight on them. My thoughts on Carolina. I don't even know if I can get the whole question out. Carolina. Sweeping Duke. This year. In basketball. Men's basketball. I'm a Duke fan. When it comes to college basketball. Watched the whole game last night furious texting friends of mine that are Carolina fans texting friends of mine that are Duke fans having completely different conversations with both sides Uh, a lot of anger ran through my veins last night watching the Carolina fans celebrate watching the game watching their team Burning rivalry feeling that goes through everybody that's involved in any type of rivalry. Um, for me in college, it was Catawba was one of our big rivals, and anytime we'd play Catawba, you know you you, you you had that disdain towards that other team and those other players. That's how I felt and feel every time that Duke and Carolina play, and then when I see Carolina win. And I see all those smug reactions from the Carolina fans and their hashtags of Duke sucks. And they don't spell Duke right because it's a, it's a nice little jab on Duke. And they think they're so much better. And they're, they're just the best fans. And it's the greatest thing ever. It drives me absolutely fucking insane and it boils my blood and i try and avoid it. I haven't watched Sports Center at all today cuz i don't want to watch the highlights again. I don't want to watch anything that has to do with that game to give them any satisfaction that they won. They swept us this year. Unfortunately, for Duke, we were never able to give them our our best lineup because Zion has been out and hurt. Maybe things would have changed, but that's just not how sports work. You know, you have to deal with injuries, you have to deal with players being out they were able to capitalize and beat us we were not able to adapt and manage the game um as best as we i think could have because of the talent that we do have on this team um but my thoughts on it are i wish you all the best of luck i wish you that i hope that you enjoyed this year and that it was fun for you, and that you get to walk around with your chest puffed out a little bit more today. But uh, at the end of the day, Coach K is still a better coach than Roy Williams. He's still a better recruiter than Coach or than Roy Williams. Um, Roy Williams will always play second fiddle to Dean Smith at that university. Coach K is the face of Duke basketball, and just like any good rivalry, we'll be back. And we might play again Friday of this week in the ACC semifinal game. So sweep in the regular season, but there is still hope for Duke that we can still possibly pull out a victory if we both make it to the semifinal of the tournament, that we can pull out a win and still get some type of title out of the ACC. We didn't get the regular season. that shared between Virginia and Carolina. Maybe we can get the tournament. That would be a nice uh, consolation going into the NCAA tournament. But uh, my thoughts on the games and that happening this year are absolute uh, anger, disappointment, and frustration. And I said on my Instagram that this would be curse-ridden. I am really trying hard to contain myself right now because I don't want to go into um, an absolute meltdown on the podcast. But... For the person that asked it, if you are listening, just know I'm containing myself as best as I possibly can because I don't want to scare my children or my wife or my dog or my neighbors because I might start screaming. But just know, and you know, how much it means to each side. And it drove me nuts. Okay, that's what I'm going to end with on uh, that one because I'm going to get really upset. All right, two quick questions, and then uh, we're going to wrap this up. Gin or vodka martinis? Good question. Kind of a off-topic com- question, and I liked it. So, me personally, when uh, I go out, I do enjoy a martini. Uh, usually it is not gin, which, which kind of goes against um, the whole history of the martini. The martini is a gin drink. Uh, but for me, I always go vodka. I don't know; it's a little cleaner to me, tasting-wise. What I do enjoy though is I do enjoy a dirty martini. I do; I like the olive juice in there, and then I also want olives with blue cheese. Usually three or four of them. It's almost like a meal and uh, a drink together. It's a Wonderful combination. But for me, it's a vodka martini, um, not a gin martini. I don't. I would certainly get the gin martini just to be a purist really, because, um, that's originally how it was made. And I was reading up on it a little bit because I wanted to just give a little insight on it. So the, I wanted to just kind of know the history of the martini. So what was the history of the martini? And it, and the, everything I found was that there really isn't a lot of, um, a lot known on the origins of who created the martini. And there's this one story, it says like the dirtiest of martinis, The history of this American drink is more than slightly murky. One prevalent theory points to the town of Martinez, California, where historians and town inhabitants alike claim the drink was invented during the mid-1800s gold rush. Apparently, a gold miner who had recently struck it rich decided to celebrate his good fortune at a local bar. He requested champagne, which they did not have, so the bartender insisted on concocting another beverage made from ingredients he had on hand. Gin, vermouth, bitters and a slice of lemon. Thus, the Martinez special was born. The miner so enjoyed the cocktail that he tried to order it again in San Francisco, where, of course, the bartender required instruction in its preparation. The popularity of this sweet bracing drink spread, and it was first published in Bartender's Manual in the 1880s. However, the theory isn't unanimously accepted. Barnaby Conrad III, author of a book of the Martini's origin, claimed the drink was in fact invented in San Francisco, after a miner requested a pick-me-up in the city on his way to Martinez. So now it's the opposite direction. There are also assertions that it originated in New York's Knickerbocker Hotel. Still, others assert that the drink was named after Martini and Rossi Vermouth, which was first created in the mid-1800s. Apparently, in the interest of brevity, the drink became known as the Martini. So, uh, really, questions around its origin, but it was originally a gin drink. I think either way, if you've never tried a Martini, my suggestion, try it. Um, Again, I like it dirty, which then puts olive juice into it. It gives it a a different flavor, and um, it's not as clean if you just do Vermouth bitters and vodka or gin with a um, with your olives, or you can just do a slice of lemon like they did uh, that I read here. But my preference: vodka martini with olive juice and four, three to four olives with blue cheese. So there you go. Now the last question. And this is one from someone who used to work for me and uh, is a very, I don't know if they used to get nervous or they would, um, I used to stand over their cube and have conversations with them and all of a sudden they would just go further and further down into this rabbit hole that we would create and uh, they would just go on some interesting topics and questions and, um, it it was, it was almost just funny. I would never really, um, poke to try and get this information out of them. They would just start talking. So this person was going through an interesting time in their life. And believe me, when I asked this question, it is not that they were, it was a call for help, but we always joke that it was, Oh, it's a call for help. They're a very upbeat person. They're a very happy person. Um, so don't think, don't think that this is more of a joking question, but because they asked it, I'm going to say it and give my thoughts on it. What would happen if someone drove their car into a pool? So this question is a real question. First off, that came up during a work day. Um, and at the time, this person did have a pool. So we all joked, oh my gosh, like, is this a cry for help? Like, what are you trying to get at? Like, do you think that, you know, you're not going to be able whatever, uh what do i think would happen if someone drove their car into a pool uh is if, if they drove it into the shallow end of the pool they could certainly get out uh probably just roll down the window because the car wouldn't be submerged if they drove their car into the deep end of the pool uh hopefully they would be able to get the windows down or the door open or anything that'd be tough but they survive and that you would need some type of excavator tow something to get the car out my suggestion to you would be do not drive your car into a pool but if it if by chance it did try and get out of the car as fast as possible because it will fill with water get the window break the window out do whatever you need to do to get out of the car my suggestion get out of the car second suggestion if if at all possible do not drive the car into the pool that's all i got All right, guys, that's my episode today. I appreciate it. Thank you again for all the questions. That was very fun. I did enjoy uh, everyone's participation. And if you want more of this, please let me know. Uh, I always enjoy interacting with you all again, kind of going away from having a guest week over week and doing these solo. Uh, This helps bring up topics of conversation that you all want to hear and not just what I see or read and, and talk about. This creates more of a community So, again, I appreciate it. As always, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate it. That, again, helps my podcast gain uh, popularity and get out to others. As well, if you're listening, please spread the word of Two Cents Worth Podcast. Uh, Without you as my listeners and others, I won't be able to continue to do this because who would be listening? It would just be me putting headphones and sitting on my couch talking to a microphone. That'd be a very, very weird thing to do if nobody was willing to listen to it. So again, I thank you for all the support. Um, Share this, spread it out on social media. Word of mouth is the best way for this to gain popularity and for others to hear what I'm talking about and for us to build this community together. Uh, Everyone have a great weekend, week, whenever you're listening to this. And again, thank you very much.